Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, you're listening to a sit-down episode of the Mindframe podcast. This is uh, a sit-down for episode two, or for chapter two, rather. Um, if you haven't listened to chapter two yet, you might want to pause what you're doing um, and go back and listen to it. I know that you might want to listen to these first so that the chapter makes more sense on the first go-round, um, but seems like you'd have a whole lot of spoilers in there. So you probably want to pause, go back, listen to chapter two, and then listen to this sit down. Um, but you probably know all that by now because you're a, a Patreon and we all love you dearly. And you're obviously more intelligent than the typical listener <laughs> because uh, you knew enough to become a, a patron. Um, with us, as always, is Zach Smith. Hello. And Brent Van Tassel. Yo. Um, and we will do our usual dance of, of covering some questions um, that will both illuminate the chapter and the writing process and things I might have been thinking, um, but also not go too far as to start spoiling things. But at the same time, you know, as always, there might be spoilers in these things. Um, Zach has a very keen mind. So at some point he might start putting things together that you yourself might not have put together. At some point he might put things together that aren't true that you'll then latch on to. So um, be aware that theories will be uh, thrown out here. Some will be confirmed. Others will be ignored. Um, some may be denied. So just, you know, in advance, be, be warned. And then, of course, um, at the end of the show, we will uh, talk about our various fictions and uh, where you can find them. We all have... Uh, uh, books you can grab and also just to remind you that we are a member of the pod belly network um and you can go there for all things uh podcasty um so we're looking at chapter two i think like in my every chapter that we hit i think you're gonna start to see more connections and find more links between things that might not make a whole lot of sense but i will say that you're gonna start to find more so than any of the other, because like like I've said in the other episodes of these, there's five main narrative arcs that follow five main characters, and the first two, which is chapter one and chapter two, or then chapter five and chapter six, and you know going on in a five chapter cycle, will have the most in common because of of Josephine and Teddy. The other ones will seem a little bit more um, divorced, even though they're really not, but they'll they'll seem that way for a while. So. Um, Having said that, let's get into it, Zach, if you want to uh, take it away and hit us with some questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just the first thing is this Teddy, when I first see him, he kind of reminds me of like a Hank Hill sort of a guy, a man that likes to have everything in the right place. Um, what what do you think of when you think of Teddy? Like, how does he appear in your head? He's a, he's a workaholic. Um, I think he just, I mean... He, soon as he wakes up, he's at some construction site or another. Um, he works there, you know, he would work all night if it wasn't for his friend's wives yeah. who would, you know, probably bust his balls and yell at him because he worked too late and didn't get a good dinner. So probably the only thing that really keeps him anchored to some sense of a life that isn't 100% work is um, Manny and Junior's wives who would yell at him if he if he didn't do you know <laughs> if he if he worked too hard, but even you know you know as he as it says throughout there like even on the weekends he'll he'll you know go up to the old dame to work and and so do Manny and Junior I mean they have the same you know they're always at his side and they're always doing work along with him even when, when his regular crews are gone but I think he's I think more than anything at his core he is just a, he's a workaholic. And he also, in a part, he's he's based on um, 
an actual person I know, and I can't—I don't think I can say that about any other uh, character in this book. But a guy who's done work at, like, most of the work ever done at my house was done by a guy named Teddy. Oh, okay. And um, I don't really try to represent him or make it look like him. It has nothing to do with his family background, nothing like that. But just I needed a name for this guy who's a construction worker, and I was like, well, I might as well use Teddy. And um, even like the idea that. You know, like in our house, like he did, um, he did all our tile work, uh, our our uh, amazing travertine tile. I was gonna say that he didn't. <laughs> I was gonna let you get away with it. Yeah, we have throughout the house because we we found him because we went. There's a big tile place, like the biggest tile place in town, is called Bill Ray Tile. And when we were there, we were like asking around for someone to do tile, and the person at the counter was like, "Well, this guy named Teddy does Bill Ray's tile." Like he's building a new house and this is the guy who does like the tile magnates tile work. And so they called him and anyway, like he did the tile work and we had to pull like the vanity out of the bathroom and we needed some new stuff. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. He was like, I'm doing a whole batch of like really rich people's houses on the coast and they've all ordered more stuff than they know what to do with. So I'll just bring you guys back a vanity and a sink. And because I, it's oh, just that's, that's like, crazy. This yeah, man is an angel. No, he is. And it was like, <laughs> and then he was doing the tile in the living room. I'm like, we have a really funky two sided fireplace. And he was like, this doesn't look right. It needs a mantle because there's no mantle. Mm. He's like, there, there needs to be a wooden mantle with a shelf above it. And none of that's here. And he was like, you know, now that I'm building all this, I see that it needs that. And it's like, he was, he's like, that wasn't in the original estimate, but I'm just going to build that and bring it in. And he just like, because it's what needed to be done for him to be happy with the project. And everything he does, that's what he's like. There were days where his son and one of his workers did like several hours worth of tile work in the kitchen. And he came by in the afternoon and they were still working. And he was like, tear all that out. Oof. Like just like, <laughs> he was just like not good at like, he's just a perfectionist. And he's willing to, to, you know, lose some of his profit in order to make it look exactly the way he knows it needs to look. And it's like, that's kind of the, the way I want Teddy to be, is he's willing to do whatever he has to do to make it perfectly, you know, he's a, he has a vision for it. And regardless, that's the way it's going to be. And I think you get that across right away with like the whole 18 inches away from the curb. He has right. to be perfect at when he parks. Um, and I think I commented on this when we were when we were talking about chapter one, where chapter one has a lot of uh, grief in the sense this is a widow, uh, you know, rebuilding her house after it's burned down that helped kill her husband. Whereas now we have a, a big family scene with mm-hmm. Teddy, and it's just so much happier. So this whole chapter was kind of just a, a joy to. Uh, listen to again when I was when I was coming up with these chapters because it's just it just feels nice, like, right? Uh, yeah. Like there's a homey, yeah, totally home to feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Brent, is there anything you wanted to say about Teddy? Um, I, I noticed there was very detailed description of those relationships that Zach's talking about. So like when you go through that chapter, you're talking about like how those people met. It's their anniversary. Someone's expecting a child, and I wonder sometimes when I'm listening to it, there's things like. I know at some point, was that this chapter where you talked about little little things about the color of something or the smell of something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I know that's flavor, that's colorful, that's filler that has to happen as a descriptive quality. But I was wondering, is there importance in those relationships? Like, is that a factor? Because it seems like you went into such detail that there might be importance between that whole Filipino household in a white neighborhood background thing. Is, is that important? Is that something that people need to pay attention to? I think, um, 
like can I say do you I feel like what Brent is also talking about something I've thought about with this chapter are, are those these descriptions these smells are helping to build tone and mood for that chapter so we mm-hmm. get that that's what I'm getting yeah sometimes through. it's like you know oh that's obviously yeah tone or mood or yeah. something building an atmosphere so right. that you can visualize something but it felt I felt like you described those relationships in such detail that maybe there was something else to it I think it's I think it I think it's all important to anchor how crucial um how crucial Manny and Junior are in Teddy's life. Okay. I think it's I think that's a really important aspect that okay. they are they are I mean they're his brothers, they're his family, like they're and and their family is his family. And and I wanted to establish that it's not, you know, it's not just because they work together or something like he's known them for a long time. They are they are like they're weaved into each other's fabric and family right. in very yeah. important ways. And I needed that to be felt. Um and I w- originally I wasn't going to have Teddy be the second of the chapters. It was going to be a different story arc that would come second. And I just kept feeling like it was necessary that he come because I wanted to separate it more. I wanted, mm-hmm. since they're the more two who distance. are the closest, I wanted them to be a little bit more distant in the chapter rotation. And I think the what you've talked about, like the fact that it's such a lighter mood and a tone and there's such a change. I, I feel like that might be what was pulling at mm. me. Like, I think I needed to lighten it up and show, you know, I didn't want this to be an empty universe where everybody's alone and drifting, you know, right. dying and, and suffering. And like, I wanted to show, you know, real human life in mm. there as well. So. Okay. Um, my next question is we get thrown some car names. Are you a car guy at all? I am not a car guy at all, and I can't remember what car names I used in this. <laughs> I just, I mean, he, Teddy, once again, showing what an amazing person he is, buys all new cars for right. his employees, and mm-hmm. then, you know, just they're sitting there on the lawn for him with big bows, you know, for Christmas presents. So just was reinforcing him. Tie it to a decade, like to give you some kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, visual marker that. that was like, hey, this is, I know you talked about uh, Walter Cronkite or something. Right. And yeah. So it's like, oh, hey, that has to be this time period. That was this car. Yeah. 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 I did, like, when I knew he gave them cars, I had to, like, you know, find the cars he gave them. Right. Um, I didn't have any preconceived notion. So I was just kind of looking at images from that year. You know, looking for brand new 1960, you know, cars and finding what I thought was practical or or what looked cool. Yeah. Um, But I wasn't uh, I was surprised that the the F-150 was still. Oh, that's a thing. Is that what did you list that? I don't call. Yeah, that. I think I did. Right. I think, like that's, did. I think that's what he's driving. I think that was already already there. Maybe I'm wrong, but but the brand of truck that he's driving was like already. It's a truck that still exists today and existed back then. Mm. There's just so many car types that rotate around that it's kind of surprising to see one with that much longevity. But no, I'm not a car guy in any way. And I didn't notice where we were at and maybe I missed it in the timeline until you said that drywall was a new technology. Mm-hmm. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, it's new tech drywall. And I was like, oh, wait. So I, that, that was something like triggered me for a second to like pay attention. And then the newscaster thing, I was right. like, okay, wait. So I actually stopped and Googled like what years was he at newscaster? Right. Yeah. And, and up I, until, as uh, I was Googling it, you said the year and I was like, right, oh, here you go. Right. Yeah. So yeah, lath and plaster was the main thing. 
up and I, if I remember right, drywall had existed, but I don't think it was widely used. Like it's also a, like a highly American thing. Like in other countries, they have just like con- like concrete buildings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I mm-hmm. think that that drywall stuff is us. So they call them stick houses. Yeah. You know, Americans just frame everything with wood and stick drywall over sheetrock. And we don't yeah. expect it to last. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like if, if you take any European city, there's no drywall houses because they build their shit to last, you know, 100. The but living, Krieg. living in California, you want to live in a drywall house because they are the most resistant for uh, earthquakes. Yeah, because it's even though Even moves. though the drywall might all crack on you, the, the way that the framing is done will bend and flex and your house is less likely to fall on you than if it's made out of other stuff. Yeah, Americans will tear out their cabinets every 10 years and waste everything and just throw yeah. it in the trash yeah. because it's like, oh, <laughs> oak yeah, is so that decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we I, need dark stain, yeah. and I don't feel like sanding this. Like, I can't you know. believe we had marble <laughs> countertops. Like, yeah. how gauche. You know, the one thing that stands the test of time, though, is a nice travertine tile. Uh, we laughed at that hard in the beginning, and probably people don't know what's happening, but that was a reference from Sofa King Podcast because I think Dave had a complaint or something that, like, of like, oh God, this is so annoying because I'm having to get my travertine tile replaced. And we're like, oh wow. <laughs> Let me brush my monocle yeah, off. Exactly. We got it for so cheap. Coming, coming for me eating top ramen all the time. Yeah. I, I had to yeah. pipe up on that. Yeah. But I think what Brent says is very true. It does help you to anchor into that time period without you know, just elaborating on, you know, oh, it, it was 1959 and right, blah, right. blah, blah. It's the, the cars, the house, Walter, Walter Concrete put you into that time period without doing what you call Captain Exposition. Right. Like, and it's, it's like there. I try to just, you know, and maybe because it's sci-fi, I think most of the markers that tell you the year end up being technology. Yeah. Things like new cars, things like television sets, you know. I think that tends to be like even drywall, like it's all technology. I mean, I could have picked color schemes or what art was hanging on the wall or, yeah. you know, but I don't, I don't think that would have gotten the, the need for technology. To, Green kitchen to tile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wallflowers. Yeah. yeah. But it's definitely, I mean, it's important though. I think, I think it's important to, to anchor those decades. Right. You know, I don't think I needed to really do anything to anchor 2012 because I think we can all imagine what that was like, mm-hmm. you know. But 1959-60 and, you know, 1990s and things like that, I think it's important to kind of give an anchor. Right. Okay. Uh, My next question is, Teddy seems like a good dude. Do we get anything else on why he doesn't settle down with a significant other, or is it just not important to him? I think it's just not... I think it's just he's a workaholic. Gotcha. Like, his work is the most important thing in his life, and I think the, you know, the need that he has for family is already satisfied. satisfied. Yeah. So, you know, I would imagine that he would, you know, probably, you know, go out for a couple of beers, you know, a couple times a month and, you know, get lucky with right. some broad he met at the bar. Right. You know, I'd imagine that happens to to satisfy his carnal desires. But as far as uh, as far as emotional fulfillment between the family that that lives in his parents' house and between the the work that he does and even Kathy, his secretary, like he's got his people that that he cares about. And I think that question for me was kind of just a roundabout way to get you to talk about like the family that surrounds him because it it does seem to be super important. Yeah. Okay, so uh, big question. Um, Are we allowed to talk about Teddy and Josephine now or at least some of the uh, fluctuations? Yeah, whatever. About time. So Teddy is said to be living in 1959, even though in the previous chapter he's helping Josephine in 2010. So we are presented with some time fluctuations, some weird 
abnormalities that um, for me have not been clarified yet. I have a hunch as to why it's happening, but I'm not going to say much uh, as to why now. So I just think that was, uh, if you missed it, reader, just, you know, hopefully you kind of picked up on I mean, that. You, you, you clarify an age ever. Like, I mean, he could live to be that long and be working there, but that's, I think it's clear that like, it's just a drive home or something. Yeah. Right? It's just a drive home. Yeah. He even, I believe in chapter one at one, at one point when, um, when Josephine's talking, cause it's, it's established that she's in her mid thirties and she even says that he's around her age. Right. So right. it's not like he exists in I know, remember. 2012 I... and he's 70 years old. Yeah, that's like what I was the, thinking. Cause no, I was like, the, Oh, maybe he could be 70 and no, still be doing same, roofing. He's the same age in both, both of the places. Like I imagine that's just like what Erica's dad would still be doing at like 75 or 80. Yeah. He's just still <laughs> roofing and shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so this was also another big one, and, and feel free not to comment or anything. Um, I'm making other connections as we go through. Uh, old Mac, who is somebody that Teddy mentions in the chapter, mm-hmm. sends a wire to him, or in other words, a telegram. And uh, Teddy lives in the valley. Uh, it says that Old Mac is building an arch, in other words, a gateway. And my speculation, my guess, is that he is maybe the old man from the prelude because he mentions that he's going to send a telegram to somebody in the valley. Um, And I know Teddy was also mentioned within that chapter. So that's just a connection I'm making within my head. Um, Maybe I'll start with asking Brent, like, does that bring any bells for you or does it? Um, I was still just curious because of that, but I don't know if it's because we talked about it, that they have a business together though, right? So Teddy and Mac have some kind of business. They, they're, uh, there was something about uh shipyard. Like where they had the, the Quay Fin. Quay they, fin um. Yeah, they they used to, well, he, um, Mac basically rescued him in the Philippines. Okay. Mac was already like a foreman at a shipyard. You said in Manila in or Philipp- something. Yeah, in Manila in the Philippines. And when the Japanese invaded and and Teddy was a young man and he was over there, um, he basically took him in and gave him work and gave him food and helped him out because you can't leave the country. The Japanese have invaded. You know, everything's pretty screwed. And Mac took him in and he didn't really know how to build anything. And Mac was like, we're building ships. Like, here's how to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. so he learned everything he knows about construction from Mac. But now that the war is over and it's been a chunk of time, Mac is kind of traveling around doing his own thing. And now he's the one who's in charge of the construction of the, the gateway in St. Louis the big arch the arch okay. yeah yeah because there th- that's what throws me off. i mean obviously it's just confusing like you're making that connection to the old man but then i'm like if they have a business together how they different time periods like oh well he can work on the other house though and still come home and it's a different time period um they both have the tattoo that you mentioned so i was like they should still be in the same time period but the fact that they're able to drive home and be in a different time period <laughs> I, I, then i was like well i don't know then maybe that's possible yeah. right um so yeah i don't i don't know yeah that's a sound theory that Zach. Has. Well, I, I mean, I can. I mean, I'll. I can confirm it. I mean, the old man in the the prelude, um, is an old man. Is an old man. Okay, in there you the go. Prelude. Okay. Because um, the other thing, uh, Teddy says at some point in time, um, he acknowledges. He physically says after all the Larry is closing, mm-hmm. and he says, and, or you say he doesn't know what it means, but he knows it's important. Right. And I'm like, oh, what the hell. Because the whole 1959 stuff, I mean, you know, you saw, you talked about lightening things up and having a sense of family and stuff, but that's like pre whatever the hell has gone down before 2140. And like, it's still, 
regular life in the United right. States and California. Because at some point you say what used to be Southern California. And I was like, oh, well, there's what all is happening. You know what I mean? That there's not Southern California. And, you know, some right. of that might be Chapter 3 stuff. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 Some, so, of it, some of it is. Yeah. But yeah. The the. These are all. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Things. Okay. At any point in time, tell me to cut something, and I will no, make no, a mark no. on this piece of paper. I think. I think uh, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. Like I was telling Dave before you got here, Zach. Like this is a trip because it's hard for me to navigate being in a like the the position of production um, and like marketing and and doing what I'm doing for the show um, and being involved in creating the show, but also being a fan of the show. Yeah. Like I'm like, I was listening to the chapters again before you got here so that I'd be a little more fresh on it. And I was just like, dude, like, I really like this. And I appreciate it even though I know where it came from. Like I can see through like, you know, like George Clooney's in a movie. He's like, Oh, lights, camera action. I know that there was a dude over there with a mic. Yeah. I watched Dave say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it didn't, right. it, it's still immersive enough mm -hmm. that I am lost in it. Like the descriptions and everything. Like I'm a fan of the show while I'm recording the show. It's a trip. Yeah. And so it's hard for me. Cause like, I want to know stuff, but I know that yeah, I, can't I don't want know him stuff. to spoil anything for me. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right, um, and, right. and so I don't want to spoil it cause it's, it would hard be hard to have these conversations, yeah. but I have access to yeah. Dave and I could be like, right. what about this? Right. But I'm like, he could tell don't. you immediately. He could yeah. tell me and I don't want to know. Yeah. And it's also more difficult for you because as of now, and I think it'll probably always be the case moving forward, you've heard far more chapters than anyone else has. Right. You know, uh, you might be caught up now, Zach. I'm not I, sure. Uh, no, I still have not heard five yet. Okay. So I'm still one behind because you guys didn't finish six. We're right? working on six. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, so I I think, you know, I'm kind of in a similar boat as Brent because, you know, I want to ask Dave all these questions, but I don't want to know the answer at the same time. So it's hard to, like, figure out what's just stuff to, to build color and to give you listeners uh, information, but also not spoil things for right. you guys as well. So we're, we're trying to walk that thin line, too. And I will say I was very, very happy when I researched and found out that the St. Louis Arch was being built at this exact time frame. I was like, that's fantastic. That's so perfect. I'm so I've actually been inside that. there, yeah. Have you? Yeah, there's like this little claustrophobic, creepy, like submarine thing you can get in and go in the arch, like an elevator uh, thing. Mm, what like a, trip, a wonk right? Yeah, like a weird little, like, it's like a, a little sub thing. Yeah, it's very, like, snug. My son had surgery in St. Louis. He had to have, uh, he had something called macroglossia, where enlargement of his tongue. And there was uh, the, the guy who does the surgery for children with this uh, issue um, is in St. Louis. He does like 300 surgeries a year. Like he's in a couple of day. Damn. Um, uh, so we went all the way to St. Louis. And so as a side note, I got to do that and see that, which was really cool. It's kind of, it's pretty impressive from an engineering standpoint to look yeah, yeah, up yeah. at that thing. It's like, yeah. wow. No, even yeah. when they talk about it, when I was reading it, it was like, it took years to just do the foundation. And it's very futuristic considering when it was made too. Yeah. And for them to consider like, oh, you can go in it. I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember it as much as just, I remember being super, like, I'm not crazy claustrophobic. I'm okay. But like a CAT scan or an MRI I've had in the past, mm. you know, I want to be able to, as long as my hand can touch my face. That's, yeah. I was just going to say, if, if my hands are stuck to the side, if, arms, I, if yeah. I can't get my arms up to my face, like you can't scratch your nose mm -hmm. kind of thing, I start to feel like I can't Which breathe. it automatically makes you Yeah, itch. you're like, oof. Yeah, it's tough. Okay. How so long the next, is the ride? Oh, sorry. I don't. 
I don't remember enough, to be honest, man. That's the other question. Yeah. It's, like, it's a 15-minute it's ride. It's like, I'll pass. I'll see you guys when you get back. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to fart, I'm pretty sure. You know, Is it just like a single person? No. I, I feel like someone else was in there with us that we didn't mm. know even, maybe. I mean, I'm sure it's the thing of the past, Shaquille given the Neil. current state of things. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, no, Shaq would not be able to go. <laughs> he just wouldn't be able to do it. It was, it was kind of gnarly. <laughs> Um, the Quay symbol, as kind of mentioned earlier, uh, is this something we should pay attention to, look out for in the future? It uh, it pokes its head up okay. every so often. Yeah, because Teddy and, and Mac have matching tattoos of that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, the we've talked about Walter Conk, right? And he uh, hosted a show called "You Are There," and I think this was a fun uh, mention because it feels like it's like a parallelism of the story. Uh, since we're like kind of hopping around to these different time periods viewed uh, viewed by the character in the prelude, was that kind of purposeful? Like that you are there feeling as as we did these. That was that was past? another like fortunate uh, research dividend because I was looking for you know I wanted him like he's, he'd be a very factual guy. I yeah, can't picture yeah. him watching a whole lot of stuff. He'd probably want the news or something like that on. So I started looking up different you know news programs that exist, and I knew in 1959. Half of them were probably news programs, right. you know. Um, but then when I found that program and saw about what it was, and it was you know a new a newscaster like telling a story as if they were in you know Salem mm -hmm. witch trials, or they were really back in the Czar's Russia or something like that, I was like, oh no, that's perfect for yeah. for what we're doing. So and, that that was a, that was a fortunate research find. And like I feel like just as an audience member, it just is like a cool parallel between us hopping to these different uh, time periods. Like we're going to have like 1990 at some point come up. And I think that was like, oh, okay, cool. It was like fun to jaunt back to a time I knew and right. remembered. So right. I was like, oh, right. I am here again. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is a bit of a long question. Uh, time fluctuations become apparent in this chapter, but rather than try to give anything away or further away, I want to ask a different question. When constructing something difficult, and when I say difficult, I mean something the audience will have to invest time and attention to, do you ever worry it may turn the audience off? Or, fuck them, authors we both appreciate often write more difficult works and really leave it up to the audience to figure out. Do you hold that same philosophy? Often people interpret difficult as less commercial. I think I I feel that in I feel that in science fiction and I feel that in certain genres of fantasy um I think I don't think complication turns off the audience. Mm -hmm. I think a science fiction audience knows no matter what I'm reading about a time that doesn't exist and at some point I have to assemble this world around me. Like I don't, it's, it's not like, that's why I say that about fantasy because you're also creating a different world even though it's in the past, you know. But one way or the other, you know, fantasy isn't really what England was like because we're talking about, you know, Tolkien's Middle Earth right. and we're looking at the, you know, Game of Thrones. Like it's a different world. Um, and the same thing with science fiction. So I, I think science fiction readers are already used to assembling the pieces to figure out exactly where they are. Um, I definitely, I mean, you, you have to strike a balance. You have to realize, no, that's too, that was too obtuse. Like this, right. is, this isn't going to make any sense. Right. I have to give them something more. But um, I feel like to me, I feel like it's only done poorly if it doesn't connect at some point and you don't, like, I feel like a good science fiction novel when you're about halfway through 
you probably need to go, oh, that's what's going on. And you might even need to go back and start rereading stuff yeah. because you're like, oh, now that makes now. Oh, damn. Okay. That makes. So I think it like, I think it's only a problem for the audience. If the pieces never come together, gotcha. if the pieces come together and finally give you a world to stand on, I think the, the patience uh, is worth it as a podcast. I don't know. That does make me a little bit more worried as a podcast. There's 8 billion podcasts out. So someone listening might be like, this doesn't even make any sense. I'm going to download <laughs> that one instead. I think it, it definitely depends on mood too of the yeah. listener. Like sometimes you want just like mind numbing, whatever, like right. droning, like, you know, we turn on the office at my house and it just plays. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, whatever, like you I'll laugh at moments. I don't have to pay attention to it. Right. Um, I think that sometimes with like what you're creating, like you just have to pay attention Versus there is something where you have to almost uh, like decipher or calculate or um, solve, you know what yeah, I mean? So right. I think certain people that are into things, like if you like Rubik's Cube, you know what I mean? Some people be like, fuck that. I'm not doing a Rubik's right, Cube. Like right. that's not for me. Like people don't like those little puzzle games that you get at the mall at the crazy yeah. sword store. Yeah. Um, but some people love that kind of thing. So, I, I you know, not all sci-fi is going to be for everyone for right. sure. But thus far, I think you've written this in a way that it, it's comfortable, but you need to pay attention to it. Right. Like I, it, you, you could probably, like I was doing some other stuff and I rewound about three times because I was like, okay, stop yeah, doing whatever I'm doing. Back. I need to go back and see what he said right there. Like it, you do have to pay attention. Yeah. And I think you need, you know, I think you need to make it clear early on. I think by the time you get done with the very first thing, which is the prelude and you're scratching your head thinking, what in the hell is going on right now? Like that kind of tells you, you might be in store for a lot of what in the hell is going on, right. you know, throughout the, the course of the book. So. And it feels purposeful that way. And I, th I thought it was interesting that you brought up Game of Thrones because I'm not saying it's similar to Game of Thrones, but the similarity that it struck to me in being a fan of the book series of Game of Thrones is the multiple character uh, chapter sections, but also each of those sections kind of leaving you clues. Because I feel, as I said previously, story. yeah, you play mm -hmm. very fair with the audience. I felt I feel Martin plays fair with the audience for mm -hmm. the most part. And so I think for me, as the type of reader I am, I love this sort of stuff because it's not o overtly obtuse or complicated. It's it the stuff is there. You just gotta look. Yeah, I don't feel like you're trying to ever trick anyone. No, like, no not, not deceiving. Not like because I think no. sometimes make that it can too happen. hard. Where to they're, they're thinking like I'm gonna make this right. like yeah. some super complicated no, thing. No, no, that, no. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel like that's happening at all. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not trying to 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 obscure things or make it intentionally difficult. I'm like I know what's happening with all these people, and I know, and I'm trying to be. I'm trying to tell this. Like, I'm trying to tell the story that's pretty much f from their perspective. Right. So they're I'm, limited. It's they're limited. Mm -hmm. So what I tell is limited. Right. And if there's a limitation in what's being told, it's because of that narrative structure. Like, you know, Josephine doesn't know what Teddy's doing when he goes home unless Teddy happens to tell her. Mm -hmm. Like, Josephine just knows Josephine's world, and that's the perspective that that she has. So I'm trying to to write it. In, even, you know, the, the, you know, Bill Campana on a ship getting attacked by deviants. It's like mm -hmm. he doesn't know Teddy, mm -hmm. you know, and his world is never going to reflect that. So his his world is just trying to trying to be a narrative of his world. And if that leaves questions, that's 
so be it. You yeah. know, because almost like that might be telling what you just said that, that he doesn't know Teddy in any way. I mean, for me, I'm like, oh, okay, so like it Does eliminated some stuff. <laughs> okay, yeah, that eliminated <laughs> things for me. So I was like, Fair oh, enough. that's that doesn't tie because I mean, I, you know that there's there's gonna be five characters and storylines, and eventually it's all gonna come together. Um, but that tells me that told me something. But now that you now that you say that, I'm wondering, would he have met Teddy? I don't know. I just throwing some intrigue back in there. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm I'm curious. I no, I don't think he I don't think he would have any reason to know who Teddy is. Dave has salt, pepper, garlic, salt, and intrigue in his kitchen. Because <laughs> as just, soon as I said, he just sprinkled some. No, on as, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh wait, would he know Teddy? Uh-huh. But no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he would have known Teddy. It's a roller coaster, Dave. A whole roller coaster. <laughs> For the record, we're drinking whiskey right now. Um, someone actually contacted us already, and in anticipation, um, they have sent us a bottle of whiskey. I'm all so about it. We have our own first bottle of whiskey coming from Mindframe Podcast, Damn. and we're not opposed to that. Like we're not opposed welcome. to that no, at, at all. all. A lot of you already have the address. If you need the address, um, just message us on social media, and we'll let you yeah. know. Because for the record, we we're recording this at the moment in the Sofa King Studios instead of the Podbelly Studios right. because of the air conditioning situation. And in the Sofa King Studios, our devoted listeners have sent us over 190 bottles of alcohol, the majority of which are whiskey. Yeah, I so think we're at kinda, one, 196 is where we're at. It's right very now. difficult to record down here without opening a bottle. I'm not complaining have. at all. I know I'm a pro- <laughs> poor Brad substitute, but I definitely will continue to drink the whiskey. So, so and I don't drink it when we're doing the regular chapters because I need like laser like focus on those words. But when we're doing the sit downs, I definitely have a pour. Okay, so on the next, uh, just a quick question about difficulty. What do you consider like a good piece of fiction that it, that a reader might find difficult, and then slash, what do you consider just a piece of shit that was just difficult to read? And what do you? Th- I think you've already clarified the difference that that one. You know, it feels like it comes one together. One needs to pay off. Yeah. yeah. How about Star Maker? Because you made me start that. <laughs> Star Maker comes together though. Star Maker has. A I got to push through, man. I made a long way, but now I'm like almost. It's been so long that I'll have to. It's like that's one of those things. I mean, you guys are English professors and authors. I am not, and right. uh, I I wish I was more well read. I I do enjoy it, but I have difficulty doing so. Um, and I'm you know I'm a smart guy, but like that but book, the I had Willow to, is just. I had to stop Willow. and like look stuff up. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, I'm stopping and googling again, stopping and googling again. Uh, but then I did switch to the Kindle, which was awesome because then I could just touch the word. No, 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 get, get I was like, okay, cool. I'm not like yeah, breaking yeah, out my phone, yeah. setting the book down. So when I was on his Kindle, I could look words up. So he's but talking. That, he's talking about a book called The Star Maker by William Olaf Stapleton. Did you ever yeah. read it? Tonight? Oh, I think you told me about that. Where it's like he it. goes on like a long space journey, going from yes. like planet it's to a planet. Tri- yeah, yeah. It's a trip. It's one of the trippiest books I've ever read. It was written in like 19. Way I forget, back, dude. man, like 27. I have like a mint condition copy like, I got off of eBay. And then I was like, I'm not touching this. Thing. <laughs> it's so it's like it looks like it was brand new. Right. And I finally got uh, a Kindle version and just went with that. But it's a story of this guy who like becomes disattached from his body and starts to drift through space for like untold millions of years. And he and runs coexist into, with other beings. Yeah, he, co-exist, and he, runs, and yeah, like, he goes to other planets where he'll meet somebody else who can leave their body. And like when he lands on another planet, he fully lives on that planet long enough to understand it. And all of a sudden, politics, their love, their sexuality. It's a trip. And it's not like star Trek where it's like, Oh, it's a human being, but with a wrinkly forehead, it's like, no, this is a giant shell (laughs) that moves by inflating gas bags and communicates by rippling the ocean. And it's like, (laughs) what? And it's like, but you get such a beautiful picture of the race. You're like, of course that's what that race would like. Like one of the species (laughs) in place of like, uh, like racial segregation, they have like, uh, 
taste or something. Like, oh, they can't okay. sexually be with the other person because the taste is so off-putting of oh. the other person. And so there's a, a really weird social like dynamics that you can't even conceptualize. Like it's, it was, it's really cool. I really need to get back to it. I'm just, but even so that busy. one, like it's so, it takes a long time to get the, the payoff, but even that one eventually, cause for the first two thirds of it, you're just drifting in space along he's, with this guy. That's where know? I'm at. He's still like yeah. drifting in these Mets, right. Right. crazy places and gone crazy, yeah. like and adapted and like takes on uh, like a team of consciousness. Like mm -hmm. they're like with him and traveling with him. But it's to the point of like you're out in the field working and like someone's just in your head. You mm. would think you're losing your mind, right. but it's, it's him visiting you. Right. He's there with you now and you share the consciousness. Right. It's a trip. Yeah. That's a difficult. Got, so back to your question, that that is a difficult book and but a that's a like difficult book good. and i think i mean that's a difficult book that would be off-putting but gotcha. i think the pay like once you reach the i mean you haven't even like reached why it's called the star maker yet once you hit that moment in the story you're like oh shit this is gonna get crazy okay. yo. um but i i to me like the i think the perfect balance of of difficulty and obscurity in science fiction with a payoff i think the ultimate master is william gibson okay i don't think i don't think there's there's anyone better yeah, I think uh, just going through the canon, I get irritated having to read stuff where it's like, "Well, you got to read this to be a knowledgeable English professor." Yeah, you got to like, read Moby Dick. It. You've got to Moby read, Dick, or you know. I, I, I mean, maybe unpopular opinion. I fucking love the Odyssey. I hate the Iliad. Like it's, it's difficult in the sense yeah, of no, it's I just agree. a slog. It's mm -hmm. just a drag, and you have to like sit there and listen to. You know th why this guy died, and his parents were horse trainers, and, and then a it goes thirty-page catalog on of and ships on. and their yeah. captains, and it's like, Fuck off. Yeah, I, I remember we had that was required reading in high school, but I, I don't remember any of it honestly. Because and everything we remember about the 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 Iliad is actually just the general Trojan right. War. Like Achilles doesn't actually die in it. Like the Trojan horse doesn't happen, and that's all afterwards. So right. it's like, yeah. what? <laughs> what's the point of this? Right. So that's yeah. one for me that's like just one of those difficult ones that yeah, didn't feel like it and paid off. And it doesn't off. pay off. No, yeah. it doesn't. No. Okay. Um, I think you kind of answered this question and we hit Brent's question. So there's just a couple more. Um, was there any specific reason the Philippines were chosen? Like GIs in many areas of the South Pacific during World War II. Um, like they could have been, I guess, in a different spaces or they might not have. I don't know as much as you, I assume, because you researched it. Was the Philippines just like one of those hubs? during that time for Philippines was just super yeah it was a big hub and it was just an interesting thing because the Japanese took it and then that was the the whole uh, 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 General MacArthur you know wading up the beach you know mm, taking mm -hmm. the Philippines like it was it was a key it was a key area in the Pacific War um, and I think it really kind of symbolizes a lot of what happened which was that aggressive Japanese expansion mm. and then kind of watching it get tamped back as the Americans progressed and I know that he needed to be Teddy needed to be in a war based on his age and based on the era it needed to be World War II mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the I feel like the Pacific theater was a much better fit than the European theater for him to have learned construction because of all the shipyards. And I just mm, felt like, mm -hmm. I just felt like it was a good match. And once I started looking around, I was like, no, I think the Philippines is where it's gotta be. And I think what you just said, maybe kicked off a symbolic thing within my head, maybe for the, the war that keeps getting, keeps getting mentioned, you know, like people pushing back against this torrent so that maybe, you know, you don't have to say yes or no, that that feels maybe symbolic then of, of this war that keeps getting mentioned. Um, 
This isn't a question, just a big fuck you for describing all that delicious Filipino food I can't eat. And then uh, <laughs> just a question about, do you have any favorite Filipino food? I have eaten too much surprisingly little Filipino food in my life. I think the only times I've had Filipino food was my sister always, my sister's a professor of English just like I am, and she always has a potluck on the last day of the class. So people show up to turn in their research paper, and then everybody brings in food, and they just kind of talk and have some laughs and eat food. And she had a family of like three sisters that took like multiple classes from her. So for a course of like six years, their like every single at the end of every single semester, I knew that their mother was going to cook a huge batch of this noodle dish uh. that they had, and it was like some of the best noodles I've ever had in my life. And I'm sure there was it was before I was a vegan, it was before I was even a vegetarian. I'm sure I couldn't eat it right now, but no, I mostly I was just I wasn't even familiar with those foods. I was just looking okay. up uh, uh, Filipino dishes and looking at ones that looked either particularly interesting or I was looking up like recipes that aren't just like, you know, like a balut egg that's like a shocking, Oof. like not everyone's right. gonna, <laughs> you know, I wanted like, yeah. this is what a real family would be eating if they were eating traditional food. And that was what I was hoping to capture in my research. Yeah, I, I don't know did. if I, if I did it or not. And I do apologize because I don't know if we fixed it or not for butchering the way the, the, Filipinos pronounce their language because I think I said it wrong. Yeah, I'll see if I can track that down. Okay, we might have to track <laughs> it down and fix it because I never, and we even like listened to a recording of exactly how it's pronounced and I was like, nope, don't think any of the times I said it, it sounded <laughs> like that. <laughs> and by the way, in my text, like what you'll probably find in the book, I might have edited it out, I'm not sure. I, I named the dishes while I described them. And once it came time to read it out loud, I was like, nope, yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to describe <laughs> them because I am going to butcher ever. There's another there's a chapter coming up that has some Russian in it. Oh. I'm really I'm not really sure what to do about that one, but we'll, we'll see what happens. You, yeah, writing yourself into a corner. Right yeah. There. Well, um, when you're not expecting to read it aloud. I get, it yeah, matter. that's also true. You yeah. Know, yeah. Um, Right, my last question for the chapter is uh, the mention of children made me think you started writing this work uh, before uh, Vaughn was born. Mm -hmm. Has having a child changed your perspective when writing? For sure. I mean, 100 percent. If, if I'm I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, I, I think if I was going to write about an eight year old. I still only have a limited knowledge of eight-year-olds because mm. I don't have an eight-year-old. When you know, it's relatable. House, like when it's relatable. But if I was going to write about someone having a baby or, you know, you know, anything up through the terrible twos, you know, going on to three, I'm sure it's just going to give me a whole body of experiences that I didn't have to tie into, whether it's just the daily grind of diapers and sleeplessness or whether it's the connection you feel to that other human being. Like, I think that's definitely going to alter um, writing as I as I move forward, but I don't think it'll be reflected very much in here because this was already written. Yeah, and I think I think I just meant it more philosophically. Of the I, I often read interviews with writers who talk about the change in their perspective. They they felt post having a child they felt more hopeful about the world, and I don't know if that was them projecting onto the child and hoping that their child would have a good life. And they said it did affect the type of stories they told because they felt they, they wanted to be more inspirational, more hopeful in their work. So I didn't know if that no, was also something. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure for 
like for for me for example like we do suffocating podcasts and sometimes we talk about horrific things yeah like terrible terrible things and like we've been doing that for years now and mm -hmm. I, there's an evolution of your, your you know your child's getting older and yeah. like dave said he's at you know two getting close to three or whatever like that he, he can relate to that i have a 16 year old and 11 year old and i have a son and a daughter so from multiple angles and multiple perspectives as things happen like you read about things you try to talk about things that completely change like when we talk about things from world war ii like you know concentration camp mm -hmm. and stuff it's really started to bother me a couple things have just hit like oh this young girl or this young boy and it is it's tough like you you yeah. aren't able to joke about things maybe mm -hmm. you like mm -hmm. found like you know dark comedy in prior um or if there's some predatory thing like i literally during the last research bought um tear gas like <laughs> pepper spray tear gas like dye for my daughter um, because I was like so disturbed by what we read yeah. mm. that I ordered it on Amazon while doing research and gave it to her like two days later because I was like, oh, oh my God, like yeah. it affects the way you live yeah. sometimes. So I'm sure writing, uh, ultimately it has to influence it. And, that, and you're going to experience that whole range yeah, of yeah, stages yeah, yeah. as things change. They're probably different. So with a son, I think it's a little more, you'll maybe, be a little more resilient maybe, yeah. where with uh, a daughter, there's a, there's a more protective thing where you have you have different concerns for sure i just thought it was interesting too because uh i, I was uh, a lot of the podcasts i listen to are wrestling podcasts like hearing their stories of, about stuff that you know happens behind the scenes and uh the wrestler edge talked about like how he has now had started to have panic attacks when he gets onto a plane and he never knew what it was he couldn't trace what the the, what the issue was and then he realized it's because he's worried about if he dies on this plane trip Who's going to take care of his two son. children? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wanted to skydive. That's not going to happen. You know? Right. I mean, I wouldn't do that. Right. It's like selfish right. at this yeah, point. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And like, there's little things that you're just like, no, you're not yeah. going to do that now. It definitely yeah. changes your reasoning and your thought and your priorities. I mean, you don't have kids? No. No. I mean, the thing is, like, when you have a kid, like, your priorities change immediately, like, in a yeah. second. Like, you immediately love, you, like, you love someone that you've never met with such intensity that it's an un, it's indescribable right. and like in your you, it changes it's like right, right. well i know i'm not going to the movies anymore i have to do this you know you know what right, i mean and, and right. it's a it's a responsibility an obligation and like a devotion that just happens in an instant yeah it's a very weird thing i, I yeah the closest thing i can relate it to is that my uh cousin had two children in the last uh three or four years and i think it's made me more optimistic about hmm. things mm -hmm. and more worried and mm -hmm. it did change some some things as I was finishing uh, my last book. And I think I initially wanted to end on a much more d a downer right. and, and, and right. it just didn't feel right. You know, when I tried well, I to I, ultimately got to it, I couldn't do it. It definitely changes my perspective, but I wouldn't say it makes me more optimistic mm. and, and it makes me more paranoid and more cautious. cautious. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say though it did because when I reread, um, uh, the prologue, no, the <laughs> prelude. The, you the, did this to yourself. Not the prelude, the, <laughs> the prologue with Captain Bill Campana. And, you know, the whole thing is sort of framed around him thinking Talking, of his daughter yeah. and him, like, leave, you know, reflecting on a speech for his daughter and all that stuff. I reread it, and I even, as I was editing it before before I read it for the podcast, I, I was like, that feels too cold. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't, I couldn't be that cold mm -hmm. if I was talking about Vaughn. But and then I looked, and then I read it again, and I was like, "It's not too it's cold." It's not. No. Like that's 
Bill Campana. Like I thought it was beautiful know, like the metaphor of the origami. Like right, I thought it was great. Right. But and then eventually is chapter three Claire Campana? Yes. Like and you know, so then you'll see cold. Yeah. Like <laughs> so so it, it runs in the family, I suppose. But it did make me think about that, like, you know, children and parents and like how are they thinking about their children and how are they being reflected? And I mean I, I think it def- just the same thing with the death of your parents. It's like yeah. it changes things. Yeah. You know, you just see the world in a different light. I struggle with that. The mortality of that like as my as like my great-grandmother died it wasn't affected i was young it didn't i was like that's a million years away and then my grandmother died and it was like the only thing between me and death is my mother you know what i mean if you think about like a a generational standpoint that i thought like when she's gone i'm next like your brother older i'm next my brother's younger than oh you're screwed slightly I, so, st- I still have two older sisters, so I was like, I got a slight uh, buffer. He's probably the more responsible one if you're worried about like handling everything. Right, that's what you're saying. Right. And then as far as uh, Captain Campana talking about his daughter in the book, like I, I, I internalized that and self-related like and put the wrong age on her. Um, I think I told you about that a little mm-hmm. bit, like because I let myself go into the position of him during that attack. And him thinking about his daughter, I made her like my daughter's age. Right. right. She's my head an adult and yeah. she's, and she's actually much Navy, older. Yeah. yeah. She's ready to, she's 36 or yeah. something, I think, mm-hmm. probably at that point. And so I was sitting there and then I told Dave, I was like, wait, how old is she? Because I had visualized this whole other character right. of a different version mm-hmm. of it. Right. Because right. I, it was relatable to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And I put, I put myself in the position of having to think about mm-hmm. they're not going to know this. They're not going to know that. Yeah. I don't get a chance to say these things. Have I done enough at this point? Right. Right. To let them be on their own, right. and you think about that a lot. Like, yeah. did I have I given you all the tools you need? Yeah, right. not probably. Yeah. yeah, they can make top ramen. They're good. They're good. You know? What else do you need? And I think like just what kind of just my final tag on for something that Brent said earlier. Like, I death is something I don't think I contemplated for a while. My grandpa passed away in like 2013, and you know it was it was hard to watch the slow like degradation of it, mm-hmm. and then. Um, my grandma's still with me. I'm very close to her. And I think I uh, had to process that death before it actually happened. So right, like that's right. my whole book. My yeah. last book was just like, what's that going to feel like? Right. What's that void? Yeah, what's that yeah. blackness, that right. darkness, that existential right. terror? Yeah. So like I had to like it. It often for me is therapeutic to, to kind of sit you know, there. I think and, generationally, and too, I think that um, older gener- like our grandparents and our great grandparents had more comfort um with death because i think honestly and this doesn't speak for everyone but i I definitely think uh stereotypically across older generations they have a better sense of religion yeah and so they're more accepting that they're going to some beautiful place right and that they're going to go see whoever you know their brothers and sisters and other family members that they had lost prior the generations prior to us their parents and i as the generations and as we move into the future generationally i think that the younger generations don't have that. Yeah. However, I have seen like my own mother um, get much more religious in the last 10 years. Like I think the closer you get and in, in further in age, you almost have to. Uh-huh. And for me, like I, I have family members that are very religious and I'm like, I'm not going to battle them. I'm not going to discuss them. I'm not going to debate it with them. Ignorance is bliss right. is kind of my, my yeah. thought on that. I wish that I didn't think that it was darkness and that it was as, the same as the moment prior to me being born. Right. That it was nothingness and I'm worm food. Right. You know, but that is my belief, unfortunately. Right. And it's yeah. horrifying <laughs> to me, um, which I, I try to battle myself on that to say like, what does it matter? I won't know. Right. As it, much yeah, as I didn't know nothing, before I was an yeah. infant, I wouldn't know now and yeah. it's over. 
but it is tough, man. As I, I struggle. That's my one anxiety in life is is death anxiety. I right. think there's a there's a song by the National where he's talking about like the the version of heaven or hell he thinks of is is the thoughts you leave with the people that are left. So if they think mm-hmm. good things of you because of the, the 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 positive impact you've had on their life, that's a form of heaven in a way. Right. And then if you are you know, that piece of shit where one, two people showed up to your funeral, you know, one's the priest, the other's the fucking uh, cemetery guy put yeah. the dirt on you. <laughs> that might be hell because, you right. know, you're not left in those, like, right. in the, in a good way. Yeah. So this, this, the darkest thought, this is like the most depressing, like, sad panda your thought that you really, <laughs> and I don't know how it doesn't affect me, though, is like nothing, nothing really matters, right. though. And because nothing ultimately, matters, then nothing, that the, the coolest, matter. most important person that ever existed you know what I mean? Like someone a hundred years ago, the, a president from a hundred years ago was big shit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter right now. They're mm-hmm. dead and they're gone and then their, their kids are gone and it ultimately won't matter no matter what impact I make. You know what I mean? Like the president still farts and picks their nose mm-hmm. and they will die and it won't matter. And they were the president. So impactfully, historically, like, oh, well, a thousand years from now, maybe they'll remember you because you went down this history book mm-hmm. because you did this thing. You discovered electricity. You did some profound thing. But guess what? The sun will expand and burn the yep. earth to nothing. <laughs> yep. And ultimately, it won't matter at all. So I'm always intrigued by the sense of morality that is still instilled in us, like, primally because why do we not just rob banks and say, fuck it then? And just go fuck ass wild crazy and do whatever you want to do. If ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, well, it matters to your children now. I don't know. know? I get all, I get all doctor who about it. And it's like, you know, when you see doctor who and he's like looking at it and everybody's like, why do you always come to earth? Like, why do you hang out with humans? And he's like, you guys have no idea how amazing you are. Right. Like you're here for this short amount of time and you're beautiful and brilliant and stupid and scared and brave and, and weeping and happy and in love and hateful. And it's just this beautiful thing to be around. And it's like, you need to celebrate it. And it's important. Like, and even if you're going to die, your life is the most important thing, even more so because you're going to, I don't know. Right. Like there's a, there's a, every so often he'll get on those tangents about what, why he likes humanity. And it kind of makes, me feel good about the world you know yeah it's a it's a trip it's hard to like the experience now matters like oh did you climb this mountain did you do these things did you go see these places and then the moment you're dead it's gone you didn't take right. it with you it's, it's right. gone you did it that the people some people talk about it right now like oh that guy lived he did all these things it was amazing you know what i mean but really like it's gone it's it doesn't really matter well, as far as going places goes, even if there is an afterlife, and I remember all of it, I didn't want to go do all, any of those things. Right. That might, yeah, that might <laughs> like be your thing. That, like, fuck off. Like, I have no desire they've, to climb that mountain and go on a great. They like, drank all really, the coffee and read all the books. Exactly. That's yeah. it. Like, that's all. That's that's what I that's what I want to see. Well, I think that's all the cha- uh, questions I have on chapter two. Brent, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I just wanted to press the crap out of you guys. And just, you know, <laughs> nothing really matters, and we're all going to die. And even if you go down to history, the sun will expand and burn the earth, and it you won't matter. You know what does matter? Hmm. Chapter three. No, oh. <laughs> you have to wait a week. So, um, again, we want to thank uh, Podbelly. We are a Podbelly original. Um, the the support and effort done by uh, Brent and the Podbelly uh, staff is incredible, and is really helping this uh, whole show come together. Um, you obviously are a patron um, if you're. Uh, listening to this so i don't really need to convince you to be a patron but i will try to convince you to get your friends to become patrons how's that sound um and again uh if you go to the web store on um 
mindframepodcast.com. Uh, you will find my book, 181 Pine. You'll find uh, Zach's books, uh, Shoot. Um, Over Wolves at the Door and Hotel California. So all of that is available. You'll find the And the shirts and hats there. and socks and yep. beanies and all kinds of cool stuff. All and stickers. Of, There's all kinds of cool stuff there if you're into Mindframe. There's more coming out. There's we're, we're designing stuff and getting stuff out. So more more will show up um as as we go on but uh thanks for listening i hope this uh helps ground you a little bit in chapter two and remember the lariat is closing <laughs>